Yeah, here. We're fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to get into get into the garage. <laughs> get in the garage. Oh, a music God. podcast. A music pod. Mispronounced music podcast. How you guys doing today? I'm I'm wonderful. Yeah. I feel like some kind of monster. Oh, I'm feeling a bit frantic this morning myself. Have you been battered? Oh. Oh. What's up, Jeff? Nothing. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> How many? I'm, I'm just thinking: Is this going to be a five-hour-long podcast? Because <laughs> this movie, this movie, it could very well be. It's uh, it's such a journey. It is a journey. Uh, today we go to the movies, and we are going to be discussing, in my opinion, arguably the greatest musical documentary ever made. I can't not think on, of one. On I, purpose. I can't think of one I enjoy more. Yeah, I don't think it was honestly. I don't think it was perp- I don't think that they released it going this is going to be the best one ever made. But it just happened to be because like Luke, you and I were talking about it. Like it's so bad that it's good. Yeah. Of course, what we're talking about is some kind of monster, the Metallica documentary just for, you know. Um, yeah, it's uh it's uh it's got its very uh spinal tap moments, you know? Yeah. It uh Oh man, I just can't wait till we get we get into it. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> there's so much unintentional comedy. Oh, it's so good. And well, th- it starts and it's like from the get go, you see that it's their production company. So right away, you're like, well, they fucking signed off on all this. So. Yeah, yeah, that that was a, one of the craziest parts <laughs> too. Is... Headfield's mad about it the whole time too. <laughs> like, I hired you, but fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the craziest parts too. I was like, you guys had like the final say on all of this, and you thought all of this. Was you know yeah. so I mean if we're gonna go from there so we'll kind of go to the end put it in the beginning they signed off on all of it in a way that's like my favorite part of the whole thing possibly unlike this last viewing because I've seen this I don't know five to ten times and the last time I saw it was like <laughs> probably five years ago and every other time I was like man this pff, this is embarrassing these guys are ugh. and then this viewing I thought. You know what? After me myself getting some therapy and like working through some of my own issues, I I viewed this completely new lens. And the whole time I'm like, this is like the best thing about this band is that they were willing to like just be raw and naked and like show all their faults and all their flaws and like be show how shitty they are in band practice and like how shitty they are towards each other. And um, so I thought it was actually like the opposite of, of embarrassing this last time when I watched it. Ooh. Oh. See, I I thought it was like Okay, so I I hear what you're saying there. So you're like it was yeah, no. I I get what you're saying. I would still be embarrassed of like if I was in that band. I wasn't embarrassed for them cuz I was like this is you guys, but yeah. like if I was in the band, I like the behaviors that I was like showing, I would be embarrassed oh, about. Yeah, like yeah. um not from all members either. So I'll say that. Not all parties of this that should be, I feel like, are equally at fault in <laughs> no. After watching this movie, this to be we'll a do few, a ranking, maybe. There seems, seems to be a, a, a few key people in here that are um, yeah. that are really, um, you know, not... The uh, entire time, all I could think was, we need to make t-shirts that say Free Kirk. 
and like show him behind bars. No, he he did it to himself. No, he definitely did. So, yeah. So let's unpack this a little bit. He's in um, a multi-million dollar prison. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> surrounded by priceless guitars and movie posters. Yeah, and... like creatures from the Black Lagoon <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the idea is is that you know, uh, so you have this, you have the Jason Newsted stretch, and then Jason leaves. And... Oh, can we pause there? Yeah. So doing some research, why he left is because the band in 2000 they it was one of their biggest years, and they did a separate interview with uh, Playboy magazine where they all were interviewed individually and they all were talking about how they needed some time apart and needed a break and wanted their own alone time. And the guy who wrote all these uh, interviews is like, I've never talked to a band that seemed less like they wanted to be a band. Yeah. Right. So then they hired this guy, Phil toll to be like a, a counselor for them. Phil Toll was not a licensed psychologist or licensed psychiatrist. He was just like a counselor. A grifter. Yeah. Well, he worked. He's a snake oil salesman he, is what he, the fuck he is. He was a Chicago gang counselor. Can you imagine? First of all, can you imagine this Mr. Robert Rogers looking motherfucker talking to gang Oh, members? the sweaters. Um, But he the he worked sweaters. with um the, the uh, St. Louis Rams for a season and they ended up winning the Super Bowl that season. So Q Prime, Metallica's management group, was like, Oh well this guy's a miracle worker. They hired him to try to heal the divide between the Rage Against the Machine members, which was a client of theirs, and it didn't work. But then they were like, oh. Well that didn't work, so let's fucking try it again with Metallica. And they hired him again and Jason Newstead quit the band after his first day meeting with Phil Toll a nine and a half hour therapy session. And Jason Newsom was like, yeah, this is lame, man. Yeah. <laughs> and this he is really, leave. really fucking lame. I love his use of the word squillions in that interview. Yeah. Yes. That film. He's like squillions of dollars yeah. and squillions of hands. So then now they're like sitting with his counselor guide. One of their Jason Newsom has left the band now and they're figuring out where to go from there. And for some reason they decide let's make an album at this point. Yeah, it's it honestly Strange. like w watching it. It seemed like Jason Newstead was like, I'm really excited to like make some like, like he seemed like he was like, I would love to be making new music and being creative and like getting it out there and like, you know, like really hammering good stuff out and taking time with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it seemed like the rest of the band was like, we're interested in like. I, they were they seemed like they were all like they were very interested in their own self and like trying to like get as little input as possible so they could control the whole thing and like not have to like make any kind of artistic um compromises compromises which also I feel like was making the music as like what like unfruitful for them because yeah. they were having a really hard time and then Jason Newstead's like Oh yeah, well I'm just gonna go record a whole album of new songs with this new band because I can do that and I have that skill and that talent. Yeah. And then they couldn't even like get it. It took them three years. You know what I mean? And I get it because Jason went off and did his own thing, and Metallica at the time was like a money, not even a money making machine, but just possibly the biggest band in the world at that time. So in a way, like under such a microscope, because you can't just like make music. Yeah. They have they are like, you know, um, workshopping it to death to be like what's going to be accepted by the masses and what's a hit song and what's what's really Metallica and blah blah. blah. 
So I get that, but yeah, it seemed like a bunch of dudes who all weren't willing to like actually work together as a team. No, like everybody had ingredients to make a great cake, and then they just kept throwing stuff in and being like, "Well, why isn't this working? Why isn't it like what it used to be?" But then you had like a film crew, and you know, you don't have a bass player, and you're trying to like like co- co- record sessions. So, do you guys want to like? Um, what do you want to like bring it? Do you want to talk about like that first time when they go in to try to record the album for like the first? Yep. After well, I, the thing that I think was really really funny was how it's like it's in the beginning of the documentary and they're like, all right, we're gonna go in here, we're gonna start this, we're gonna you know we're gonna start the recording of this. They go to the uh, what's that Presidio, mm-hmm. uh, the old military base and all that, and then like not even five minutes in, they're like. Two weeks later, the band returns from vacation. I'm like, you went on vacation? Like, what? You took vacation? Like, the first, like, after you, you're like, what? you set up a studio and you're like, ugh, all right, break time. <laughs> like, what are you doing, you fucking idiots? Like, we signed the lease on this recording studio. It's been a hard day's work. Yeah. Let's see you later. Let's take two weeks. Um, yeah, it was, uh, my God, what a journey. Um, so in that scene, though, when they do start to record the album, there's that very infamous scene, right, where... Um, Lars is is drumming in. Would you call that drumming? I wouldn't. Hitting hitting drums. I would hitting. Call it. Yeah. Oh, so also let's just talk about the beginning drums. of these sessions too. The snare drum is just whacking the whole time. Yeah, it just sounds like a trash can. Yeah, it's like a loose snare, and it's like tuned so high that like the head's gonna break. Yes, it's it, it sounds it, terrible. It sounds terrible. Um, but anyway, like they're trying to record the song and. The, <laughs> Lars isn't really playing in time at all, and they're trying to hammer the song out. And um, James Hetfield's <laughs> like, "Hey man, can you like um just like maybe play a steadier beat so I can like kind of get figure out what I'm I'm doing here?" And he's like, "Well, your beat sounds stock, and or your riff sounds stock, and I don't like playing stock." And I'm, I'm just trying, trying to put some edge on it. Yeah, he's like, "I'm trying to put some edge on it," and like, I'm not a I'm not a great drummer. I'm a Ringo of the world, everyone, but like. That was not in time drumming, and it was barely drumming. <laughs> well, yeah, and that well, it's a drum beat with like a snare on one, and all like yeah, but such it, unorthodox things you'd never do. Even, yeah, even at that though, was it in time? Like no, that it was terrible. No, the thing that I noticed about the dynamic between James Hetfield and Lars, especially in that scene, because like they're they're trying to work that out, and then after the fact, they're sitting in like the control room, and. I mean, we, you know, one of the things we want to talk about on this episode was like favorite quotes. And it gives birth to one of my favorite quotes because, you know, basically James tells Lars like, hey, you know, can you just please just, well, he's like, in my experience, the drummer just. I'm just used to the drummer playing like the beat part. (laughs) (laughs) But then Lars just goes on the full attack because, and the thing is, is you can't like, and, and James Hetfield even says to him, he's like, you're not, you're arguing nothing because you're like, your argument doesn't stand up to what, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say? And, um, <laughs> it's, it's my, one of my favorite quotes because I thought some of my favorite quotes are from Kirk delivered from Kirk Hammett. Number one, because you know, they're just, they're so just, they sound so scripted almost. But also because nobody pays attention to anything he says. All the, like every time he has anything to say, they're like, and they, they like look away. at him, and then they just carry on doing what they're doing. But he goes, you know what, guys? Why don't we just go in there and hammer it out, all right? Instead of hammering in on each other. Yes, and, pretty good. And, and and James is just like, yeah, but I'm pissed off. And then he turns and looks at Lars, and Lars is like, you're a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> like 
You're like, what? Well, too, during this, did you, like, not, like, a lot of the time, I was like, why is he be- doing a better job than the therapist? Like, Oh, would, Kirk Hammett. Yeah, Kirk Hammett would say stuff and that was, like, really poignant and, like, just yeah. got right to the the button of what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then they were just like, it would not listen to him at all. Yeah. Yeah. My opinion, it was very selective editing because, of course, they had so much footage for this oh, three-year yeah. beard. That they they made Phil Toll the the antagonist because even like I, we might get into it, but there was a little half hour um, addendum documentary made the monster ten years lives. later, and they t- they said like Phil sessions with Phil is what saved this band. Like this band wouldn't be together if it wasn't for him. So I think it was like edited where he kind of was like pushing their buttons in his therapy questions. Um, yeah, I don't know. Musically, though, that first day and like a lot of the stuff they show in this documentary is pretty embarrassing and terrible. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Um, so, uh, so favorite fav- some of your favorite quotes. I mean, do you guys? Oh, do you guys I have, have. Yeah, I have. Some. Do you guys I, have any? Cause... I got. I have another Kirk Hammett one ready yeah. to go here. It's yeah. when they're um, it's they're um arguing. Um. Oh man, no, it just escaped me. They were um. What does he say? Oh, yes. Okay. So James Hetfield is talking to Lars Ulrich, and uh, Kirk Hammett's right there, too. And uh, James is going like uh, – they're discussing, like, listening to stuff after he leaves because he can only do a certain mm-hmm. amount of time because yep. he's going through a recovery treatment. And he says, I really want to be a part of listening to stuff and making decisions. So, like, yep. I feel like you're not listening to me, um, you know, when we do this. And then Kirk Hammett goes, I kind of feel like you guys haven't been listening to me for the past 15 years, you know? Yeah. And they both and he laughs them, awkwardly. Yeah. And they both completely ignore everything he says, <laughs> yeah. shut him down, yep. and then just continue talking over him. Yeah. Which was one of the most like disheartening things. I was like, yeah. I was like, because I was like, oh yeah, like that's your main problem in this band is that you're not treating everybody <laughs> as equals, and you're not really res- you're no, you don't even like respect them as a person. You yeah. just talked right over him. He said something that was like yeah. really profound. Yeah. No, nothing. Well, and you can see that, like, Kirk Hammett's just a guy who likes to play guitar. You know, yeah. like, he's, he's like, the only one yeah. who's just like, I just want to, like, play my guitar, man, and, like, have yeah. fun and play some rock and roll, you know? And it's like, it just, I felt bad for him the whole time, man. Like, <laughs> like I mean, you know, we said it. It's like, he, you know, he made his bed. He chose to stay in Metallica and everything, but. Um, I would love to see him in the side project, low-key, just saying. Yeah. If, if it would be cool. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, but, I, I like a quote. It was Bob Rock, who's the producer, <laughs> longtime producer of Metallica, and they're doing press junkets, um, which is spliced in throughout the movie. The movie's not like chronological, but he's doing a press junket when St. Anger's being released, and the guy asks him, like, well, how, how do you define the sound of this record? And he says, it's like if a band went into a garage and jammed for the first time, except for, except that band's Metallica. And I just thought, no one wants to hear the first time a band ever plays. That's fucking stupidity. That's Nobody bad. wants to listen. <laughs> like, that's one of those intentional comedy things that happened where you're just like, you are such an idiot. You don't even... Yeah. yeah. And you can see he... Like, if we're yeah. going to talk Bob Rock real quick, he you can see he he... It's him and Lars basically just like trying to like do all this shit behind james hadfield's back all the time and like and when i remember watching it i remember being like oh it just seems like james hadfield is being difficult but now like you said Mm -hmm. like now that you kind of watch it with a fresh set of eyes you're like 
oh no, James Hetfield is just like trying to be better and like yeah. trying to like be there for his children and like. Yeah. And then in the larger know? picture, Metallica, because if he's healthy, right. the band's healthy. Mm-hmm. But like Bob Rock and like uh, Lars don't seem really willing to work out their own like um, personal no. issues. And that's what I think. Like for me, they uh, Bob Rock was the complete um, reason that this was so difficult. I feel yeah. like if they had almost any other producer, it would not have been like this because uh, just for they were too familiar with him. They were like family. He was too in tied with them. So if you have somebody else that comes in, you kind of want to be like behave a little bit and like yeah. not be that person. So you might, might be on maybe like your little better behavior. No, they were on their worst behavior because this dude was like their brother. This yeah. was like their family. I, they edit in a way where anytime they talk about needing a new bass player, they have some Bob Rock type of thing, but like. Well, I'll just be honest. I don't know if you'll ever find a, a permanent bass player. And they edit it, and they like hold the camera on him, and, and you watch it, and you're like, this dude's trying to weasel himself into being a bar, being a, the next member of this band. Yeah. He's purposely putting out roadblocks so that they can't find someone else. Yeah. He's like, I think we just uh, wait till the album's done, and then you find someone later. And you're like, you're just trying to like get in there. I thought that, too, because they were like... <laughs> I think like he was almost trying to be like the therapist is like trying to get in your the band. Right, right. But then I was right. like, no, man, you're sitting there playing bass. That's so inappropriate. You're the producer, but you're also musically contributing to the album. Like, I mean, it happens that's cool a lot. If, a lot of producers do that. That's cool if it's but... cool, but you know what I mean? Metallica didn't seem like – they seemed like they needed like a – Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, also not for nothing, but like you listen to Saint Anger and you listen to anything post-Cliff Burton – like James Hetfield could have recorded all his bass parts. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, he definitely dictated what the bass was doing anyway, right. though. When it was Jason so, Newstead, he was telling Jason what to play. Yeah. You know. Um. So we wanted to do a thing too, where we have the movie MVP. And I don't know if I share a movie MVP with you guys, but my movie MVP absolutely has to be Torben Ulrich. Oh, that that was my favorite cameo. <laughs> <laughs> because the MVP of the whole thing, yeah, because <laughs> oh he lays God. it because he's because he's just like, no, this is trash, this is trash. If he's it, sitting down. If it were me, I would delete this. Yeah, he's like, yes, maybe it sounds good if you're a man like shouting into an <laughs> echo chamber, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's like stroking his beard. But it's funny because like you can see how there's kind of a messed up relationship between Lars and his dad too, because they're like, there's this one scene where Lars is showing his father like this piece of property that he recently acquired and it's Lars his dad and the therapist and the therapist is trying to like coax all this like stuff up from Lars and being like no like tell me how you really feel about your dad and he's like try and you know you see Lars is kind of like fighting with it and his dad is doing like these like deep like lunge stretches <laughs> yeah. in the background and you're like he clearly doesn't like four feet away from yeah him. You're, like he obviously doesn't even give a shit he's got like his walking stick and he's yeah. like doing this like deep stretch and Lars is like I just feel a lot of pressure like from him and like, like I don't I, really know I can't say this stuff in front of him but you know yeah um, but he's, he is honest he says the thing about my dad is that I I feel like embarrassed him to show him stuff because within two seconds he tells me exactly what it is yeah but he wasn't wrong he wasn't delete this <laughs> De- delete this and he just strokes like his long beard you know, so yeah, Torben, that he's that's my... your MVP of the whole thing, though. He's in it for I a think, minute and a I half. I think Mike liked it because he was the it was the only sane, yeah. not that it was a sane voice. Like that guy's probably not like a no, because that's irrationally confident, right? 
like asshole. He's definitely an asshole dad. Yes. Oh yeah. Definitely. But I yeah. think what you're saying is you liked it because it was the only part time in the whole thing where somebody was like, "Hey, this music sucks." <laughs> well, right. Yeah. Because 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 you even have what's his name, Cliff Bernstein, who's like, "Oh my god," who's counting those mo- those bills. Well, baby. that's the whole thing. Yeah, and that's the like the yeah. song, the first song that Lars plays for his father, the Echo Chamber song. <laughs> you know, he's like basically, yeah, delete that. And Lars is like, "Oh, that's interesting," because Cliff. Bernstein thought that this could be a good we album opener, album. you know, and that's where I'm. That's where you see it's just like, yeah, this guy Cliff, in other words, does not give a shit if it's a good album or if it's not a good album. He's looking at it like, well, money, it's baby. like how many units can we sell? Yeah, you know, and that's yeah, that's why I like Lars's dad because he's just kind of like, no, this is trash, and no, because nobody <laughs> throughout the entire film is saying this is trash. Bob Rock is throwing up his weird fucking devil <laughs> horns every other yeah. every other moment while James Hetfield is just like trying to get these fucking mishmash lyrics out the whole time. He can't even get the timing right on it and stuff. And you're like, nobody is. Th- That's the problem, though, is that I think that that the entire career of Metallica leading up to this point, <laughs> nobody told them no. Because they always just bulldozed their way into doing whatever the fuck they wanted to do. And nobody was like, yeah, no, this this is garbage. And that's why I like Lars's dad, because he drops the realness from the jump, and he's like, delete that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, do you, what's your MVP, man? MVP? Who is your, like, oh, this is the best dude in the whole movie? <clears throat> it's James Hetfield for me. Yeah. yeah. It just is because I, on previous viewings, I just saw him as, like, whiny and as, like, digging his heels in and being difficult. And then you watch and you're like, no, this was a dude who was like teetering on the edge of sanity and like full blown alcoholism and like ignoring his family. How about ignoring his family? There's a part in the in the movie where he goes to Russia for two weeks and misses his son's first birthday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you're he, like, you went to go bear hunting in Russia and sit in a. And he says, I was just sitting in a hotel when we weren't doing the hunting itself. And it's like. You're such a fucking idiot. Yeah. That's that's like real that's what real addiction is. Is well, when you're yeah. so self centered you only realize you're missing your kid's first birthday <laughs> for no fucking reason. And Kirk Hammond's like, Is bear edible? He's like, Yeah, it is, but uh we didn't eat these bears because they were like fresh out of hibernation, so, so they're, they're full of piss and yeah. shit, so you can't eat them. And I was like, What? What was the point? Yeah. So yeah. so it's it's just good to see um because it does show the first like forty minutes of or first half hour probably of the movie is straight up him like just angry and pent up and not able to express himself. And even when he is in recovery, he has those tendencies. Like I love when there's two different styles. Are are you guys a Lars or a James? Lars is like in points of arguments or conflict. He like paces like not nervously, but like kind of like a snarling little pit bull. And he like is yapping exactly what's on his mind. He never, he has no filter. And then James sits there and his James is like trying to say things in a very calm way. But then near the end, when you know he, he's, he can't take anymore. He gets up, he starts, keeps talking. He starts doing some menial task, like putting away fucking dishes. And then he's just like, yeah, well, and I can't do this. And he slams the door as he leaves. And you're like, well, thanks for fucking, thanks for figuring that out. I'm Lars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm more, I'm more of a James. Mike is a Lars all day. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, you are. Anyway. Yeah, no. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I'm going to therapy too. Give me a break. But it was that's he's my MVP <laughs> because you see the the transition and when he I disagree with some of the things 
like when they talk about he's in recovery and so he only wants to work from noon to four and then he needs to leave and then and they all know he needs to leave and he's mad because if he leaves at four and other guys want to stay there and keep listening to stuff then they come in the next day with things on their mind that they want to fix and then he has to like kind of start the day like talking them out of that and it's like well there has to be a compromise you're neither is right neither is wrong because in my view like you know, man, the members of your band have a right to sit there and listen to the shit that they recorded. Yeah. And, but, but what they should have done is respectfully listened, 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 and not come up with this game plan for the next day. Just listen, 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 and then all start the next day talking about the game plan. Yeah. Like, like, it's easy enough. You don't have to fuck yeah. But Lars, again, that's part of the no filter thing. Lars can't sit there and listen to shit for three more hours and not be venting about how he feels about it the whole time. Yeah. He's a fucking, like, you know. But James, I think James Hetfield is right when he's describing, like, okay, I want to do noon to four. He's like, because, because think about it, really. Like, we were talking about this the other day. Like, yeah. what, after the after the four-hour mark, what are you really getting out of people? You know what I'm saying? Like, I right. I think that's, that was Especially- a wise move for James to be like, hey, if we, if we know we only have four hours, we're going to come in, no nonsense, and just get shit done. Like, we're going to have the sense of urgency, and focus. frantic, if you might want to say and like just hammer shit out yeah because yeah. it's because yeah. I, I i agree with that too because i was like this is also their problem is they're sitting too much and so then they have time to like come up with all these problems yeah they're well, constantly eating yeah that's they're what not... i'm saying it's just yeah. always cut scenes of james Hetfield eating, eating grapes you're like what the <laughs> fuck is going on Why? yeah i felt like that was a big problem i was like yeah it's because if you guys really went in there and you're like everything's set up so you Plug just get in, in our there. shit and go yeah, yeah and you start right and then you're like okay from 12 to 1 30 we we're going to be playing and then we'll we'll play and then whatever we have we'll sit and digest and listen to yeah um then we'll come back into another hour session of stuff and, and then sh- uh end of the day is um overdubs or vocals or yeah. it's so i mean i i thought they were so disorganized well though and it's and i think well they is... were they they had they had a studio space that they didn't use for nine months <laughs> that's insane full, dis- full disorganization yeah yeah i don't know but it, i think it does speak to kind of like that like that early 2000s sort of like pro tools era where it's like they literally will just like play a riff and then bob rock just like all right let's just loop it and like let's just try to figure it out you know like it just didn't nothing felt like it came organically everything just seemed like just forced and like Like, you know what i'm saying like i mean we've all been there musically you know there's moments where sometimes you feel like musically stale and it happens like that's not you know you know what i do when i feel musically stale i don't fucking play music Yep. See, I don't me, sit there and keep fucking circling the drain. There's no point. Well, for me, the thing is, is that it's like all I could think of that entire time is just like, why don't you guys like go back and just like get inspired? Like go listen to like a Misfits album. Go listen to a Judas Priest album. Go listen to, you know what I'm trying to say? Like Did go listen to the too? music that excites you. Like that's, that's the stuff that inspired. Cause that's, cause Lars talks about like, oh, when me and James were like kids and we were like sitting in my room listening to like these new wave of uh, British heavy metal bands and stuff. It's like, yeah, so why aren't you doing that? Like, why aren't you seeking out that inspiration that, that like, kind of, like, lit that sort of, like, that fire for you when you were young? You know what I mean? Because that's... They should have just lived, though. They're 40 years old. They're Metallica. Don't listen to other records. Go live your life for fucking two weeks. Actually take a vacation. Come back with musical ideas. Yeah, and they had time to take, like, years off, too. Your band's selling 10 million albums every time you put out an album. You can't be, like, listening to shit and, like, regurgitating stuff. Just yeah, yeah. Play a riff. It's an E. 
do it. Do the damn thing. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to make music, but if we can go back to the beginning for a second, the whole time I'm watching this, I, I just thought, what was the point? What was the like? What was the reason for doing this? Like, I get it that they wanted to do something different. But musically, the formula had been working. Like, who wrote what? Who who came up with what part was working in a way, at least musically? Because let me tell you, the four of them sitting there and writing gobbledygook lyrics does not work. The four of them sitting there in a jam, in a jam session strumming shit on E doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, the four of them sitting there while Lars plays a dis, disoriented, weird beat out of time doesn't work. Dissonant. Like they, what, what the thing is, is James Hetfield comes up with a riff. He and Lars work together to piece it all together. Kirk Hammett throws his guitar solo on top. James comes up with the lyrics. Yeah. And like musically, I don't see that it was very uh, fruitful for them to sit there and like play word salad with fucking lyric pads and word salad is so correct. Um, oh, favorite quotes. I got one. Although Kirk had the best lyric of the whole, of the whole album. Let's hear it. My lifestyle determines, determines my, my death, death style. style. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's corny now. Cause you think about it, it was the only actual, like in the moment. Oh, that's a good lyric. That they yeah. Did. And it was a result of like, because Kirk Hammond was like studying Buddhism and he's like, this is <laughs> right. the, this, it's the, it's the, the cycle of like birth and redeath called samsara and all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, Kirk Hammett's like a practicing Buddhist. Why is nobody asking Kirk what the fuck to do? Because like clearly he's the one that's like doing this like spiritual like thing. With... He's always able to express exactly what he's feeling. Yeah, yeah, calmly just... he- in a healthy way, right. like in a constructive way. And they're like, yeah, fuck this guy <laughs> oh, <laughs> the whole God. time. That is my f- favorite lyric, and I think it's the yeah. best song yeah. that they recorded during that's that whole frantic. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's Do you a, have a? We, I don't know if we got yours. Is your MVP James as well? No, mine's Kirk. I think. Okay, Kirk, yeah. I think Kirk. Uh, Kirk Hammett goes in there for the whole time, and I think he's like he's always seems like he's ready to do his part. He mm-hmm. never has any like he never can't play. He always has a good attitude. It's never like he's like you guys fucking suck. He's never like saying anything super negative about the mm-hmm. other people in the yeah. band. I, for me, he's the absolute like level headed. I think he. I, I think he makes a point too that past viewings I was like Meh. on this viewing I thought very accurate when they talk about how we want to get away from guitar solos and he's like I'm cool with trying new stuff I'm cool doing this like new lead thing instead of the ripping guitar solo but like if we have no guitar solos then that's going to date us to this time yeah. of like Metallica decided to do this weird left turn and just completely abandon everything that made Metallica for one album yeah. and he's absolutely right because you can play lead stuff that isn't. You can play interesting stuff that's yeah. more, you know, like a, a, a Tony Iommi style lead and stuff like that. Um, the, but yeah, he was right to speak to what you were saying though. Like <laughs> the way right. that it's so cleverly cut though is yeah. like they have that conversation with Kurt and he's like, "Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, like I'm down for just doing like you know servicing the song with just like a lead that complements the song." And they immediately cut to him just doing like wine all over place. And you're just like, oh my God, Kirk, like, it's just, it's so, it's cut yeah. so well. Like it's so tongue in cheek sometimes where you're like, yep. Kirk is, yeah, it's just very interesting because you, the dynamics between the four, of the, between the three of those guys at the time, um, which is why they made the documentary. It's it's just very fascinating uh, to watch because they didn't seem like guys who would ever be collaborating together. No. And, and those jam sessions where they're just playing f- 
absolute nonsense that just sounds like a middle school band playing together for the first time. And you just think like, this is the band that made those like technical metal albums from the like mid eighties where it's like lurk, you know, the time shift and lurch and like, it's all very intricate. And now they're sitting here, they're like fucking just playing some bullshit. Yeah. It was, it made me wonder how like toxic and horrible all those album sessions were before we saw that album. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I was like, man, like injustice for all either like must have been like a nightmare and so must have been the black album and so must have been load and re- it sounds like it was just uh, like yeah. if that's where all those feelings were they were all there the whole time and that that's where they came from they show some good footage too from when they were recording the black album and like the way that it was recorded too you can tell it was recorded on like a on top of the shoulder type of a camera you know like an actual because like a vhs and it's like Oh, yeah, dude, because James gets nasty. There's that one scene where yeah. James is like, if you want the fucking lyrics, you sing them <laughs> to Bob Rock, and Bob Rock's just sitting there with his, like, feathery hair, just, like, looking yeah. up, like, oh, God. And after, after the album's done, you hear, you know, Lars says, it's it's good to know that we can make an album of heavy music that isn't fueled by anger and, like, negative emotions that we can sit here and we can, like, work together. Because I think that's what it was. I think that they there was a lot of in-group competition and one-upmanship and a lot of like, not, nope, not good enough type of attitude. Yeah. And like, maybe that's what helps make an album like And Justice for All, where it's just like a brutal assault the whole time. And it's like, it's like that hardened, hardened like steel mentality yeah. of like re- getting a take and then just going, nope, that sucked. Play the drums again. Yeah. Mm. And... I don't know, but... Yeah, like, how much of, like, is the aggressive music that you're going after in the first place conducive to, like, that environment just naturally coming up? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, that's what that's what's going and, on. And St. Anger was, in a way, like, it was like the burning of the phoenix was St. Anger because musically it's, it's just... It's just all... It's unfocused and it's all over the place and it just sounds like a band trying to figure something out. But if you listen to the two studio albums since then where now they have Rob Trujillo and now they are making things in a healthy way and like actually working together. They don't have the songs like the first five albums perhaps, but they're good albums. They're well-made yeah. albums. They're good songs. It's Yeah, like, they hold up. And it's and it's not this wandering, searching thing like St. Anger album was. It like Hardwire Before I Self-Destruct. Yeah, right? Hardwire to Self-Destruct. Hardwire to Self-Destruct and... Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic. Um and they're both like they both aren't even just like yeah they're they're decent they're good albums yeah they're good yeah they're better than Load and Reload. Also, they were not produced by Bob Rock. Yeah, right. Rick Rubin <laughs> and then Rick Rubin's protege. I forget his name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. if we can if we can stop there for a second. So as I was watching this and I was listening, I had one of those Eureka moments, and I thought, oh, I could see why Metallica started going for this sound. And there's one band that was big at the time that I think that they were like, well, they're doing it this way. Let's try it this way. And that's System of a Down. Mm. Because the St. Anger stuff where it's like, it's not the double-tracked booming vocals. It's it's the raw, dry, like in-the-moment vocals. I think that they were trying to do a, a System of a Down thing with this like more raw mix, but they don't have the... Like, he doesn't have the Surge voice. He has a uh, weird yodely voice. See, I thought they were going for um, 
corn limp biscuit. Oh. Because oh. of the strict no guitar solo talk. Sure. Because Korn's albums, there's no guitar solos. Limp Biscuit, yeah. no guitar solos. Yeah. That was the new metal mm-hmm. thing was like we took the solos out. Yeah. And then that's why I thought they were like having the, I thought because even like Lars when he's trying to do that like right. like the, he's trying to yeah. like you know what I mean? That's what I thought but mm-hmm. I can see what you're saying yeah. too. See that's interesting because I heard I listened to it and I heard oh this sounds like Metallica started a Slipknot cover band. The right, snare, well, the snare drum, but that's the music of that time. Right, so the right. other big metal bands they're competing with are much more into the like, kind of leave it raw, leave the mistakes in, leave the humanity in. Don't don't produce it within an inch of its life, yeah. and um, and it's more real if it's like if it sounds kind of fractured and all that. Yeah, but my lifestyle. <laughs> give me determines. fuel. Give me fire. Give me that which I desire. Don't give me that fucking gong snare and yeah. yodely like I'm singing the words like this yeah. um, so bad why don't we talk real quick touch base on cause we <laughs> go ahead I have some funny segments we could talk about too well I was gonna say fashion choices was one of the oh, things yes, that okay. you wanted to bring up and one of my favorite fashion choices yes. has got to be cowboy Kirk Hammett oh always <laughs> like they go to his ranch, yeah, and he's wearing like the cowboy hat and like the like the like the uh, like the southern sort of cowboy style, twelve thousand like... dollar cowboy hat, probably. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah, I just come out here with my horses, and he's like horseback riding. It's very peaceful. It's quiet. Um, yeah, there's that, and then there's like another scene where it's they're having like a real like. Or I, oh, I think it's the scene where Kirk's talking about the guitar solo thing and stuff, and then it pans to James Headfield, and he just looks so fucking ridiculous because he's wearing like that that um that Brett Michaels style yeah, like cowboy. hat where it's like folded up on yeah. the sides and like a big iron like cross on the front of it, and you're like, what the fuck? I got one. I got one. Uh, James Hetfield in the um um overalls. He's wearing like the overalls and the Oh, that's in the beginning. Yeah. When they're at the Presidio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's wearing the overalls. I was like, that's a weird choice. For, yeah, for, like... for a grown man not doing any hard labor. <laughs> I liked the uh I like card hearts until it's time you, to work to do car hearts. I liked the the reddish purple shirt that Rob Trio wears to his audition. That you find <laughs> out in the in the ten year later documentary that, that was Kirk Ham I mean that was Lars's Versace shirt because I can always picture him wearing the shirt it looks like a schlubby like five dollar Walmart shirt and he says that it's it's Lars's shirt that he wore after a night of drinking with Lars and it's Versace so it's probably like a nine hundred dollar (laughs) shirt and it just but it looks like just a maroon fucking piece of shit shirt he's wearing and it's so memorable um, I like all the sweaters by that Phil Toll wears. Oh, God. he wears like some bright light yellow one. He has these like multicolor Bill Cosby style ones. Yep. Um, oh, and and uh, Bob Rock is wearing those those dress shirts where like if you flip out flip the cuff up, it has a different pattern. Like Paisley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he just looks like such like a pretentious oh Las Vegas guy. <laughs> or there's one scene I forget where he's like he's like they're in the studio and they're mixing and he's wearing like this knitted like wool sweatshirt, but it has like a, a skull and crossbones like embroidered <laughs> on the front of it. You're like, what the fuck I is this it. guy wearing? Like, oh my gosh, yeah, great uh, fashion choices. Fashion choices to uh, Lars's frosted tips. I know that's oh, not yes, like an outfit, yes. but his frosted tips during that whole thing was really uh, very. Lots of different hair and facial hair styles in the three years that they made this documentary. 
Except Kirk Hammett. Kirk Hammett yeah, stayed pretty consistent. Kirk stays pretty consistent. He looks the same since like 1988. James yeah. James Hetfield loves that like Wolverine Lemmy style. Yeah. Beard with the chin missing. It looks so fucking terrible. Yeah. At all times. <laughs> it looks what so the, bad. What about the sunglasses in this movie too? Oh yeah, good sunglasses. Great sunglasses. They're like giant like 1950s starlet sunglasses, <laughs> like the yeah. giant round ones. Also, a lot of wraparound. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was one of my favorite parts of the beginning ish part where he's where James Hetfield's like, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, I'm it's like oh, I'm like a rebel, and he's like <laughs> driving this rat rod, and the he gets pulled over, gets pulled over, <laughs> and the and the license plate says Beatnik on yeah. it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm just, I go against the grain. I'm like, you're worth twenty million dollars. You're not really going against the grain, my guy. Like, yeah, I love that. That's such you're a, like rich that's, and famous. That's such a great editing choice. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just like to be dangerous and go fast. And then five seconds later, he's getting pulled over. Yeah. He's like taking his glasses. So I was funny. like, yeah, license registration. <laughs> can can I take can I take two minutes and talk about? Please, yes. Please. Um, near the end of the documentary, they talk about. They're coming up with uh, album titles, and they show the whiteboards. And I paused on the whiteboards so I could I could tell you some of the some of the the uh, discarded choices. Um, old, ugly, nasty. No, I saw that one. <laughs> oh, this one. What does this mean? Best dressed chicken in town. Best dressed chicken. How about sarcasm with meaning? (laughs) This one, definitely a Kirk choice. Surfing the zeitgeist. (laughs) Yo, why does that sound like a Joe Satriani album? Surfing the zeitgeist. Uh, Ain't a scared no more. (laughs) How about this one? Floods of vomit. Wait, what, what was that one? Floods of Vomit. I feel like that's the best album name. That's a Cannibal Corpse album name. Oh, they had this is. one. It's it was Speed Avenue. Speed Avenue. <laughs> or med, metal tele, metal telepathy. And then next to it with the Metallica font, someone put in marker markers. Metalepathy. <laughs> <laughs> metalepathy is such a great one though. Um how about this one? My ass with Z's is <laughs> Um, oh my god! Light hate, speed love. <laughs> that's a Kirk. That's a Kirk yeah. one. Uh, we're already dead. We're just haunting together. <laughs> or how about this one? Feel so much better. Dot dot dot. Not to think. Uh, my personal favorite: satanic cuckoo clock. <laughs> Hail Satan! Hail Satan! And then another great one, which is a, an excellent pun, unresolve. So no D on the end. <laughs> it's so funny. Unresolve. Oh um, every gift has its price. And then this one, which is like, this might have been a Phil Toll one. Honesty leads to closeness, but the the S in leads is a Z. <laughs> Jeez. My personal favorite is best dressed chicken <laughs> Uh, Do I don't know. I might have to go for Satanic Cuckoo Yo, Clock. Best, best dressed chicken in town. Is I think oh that's a um. That sounds like a Rolling Stones album. No, I think that's a reference to a movie, um, Stroker Ace. It's like a race car movie oh, starring maybe. um, 
because it's called um, his car is sponsored by a chicken restaurant. It's sure, the sure. fastest chicken in town. Right, right. Oh, I so see. So I think that might be a that was, Stroker that was a James Ace reference. That was the, the beatnik himself. <laughs> <laughs> Un- unresolve. No D. <laughs> it's so funny. What? I have a two-word review for that shit sandwich. Yo, that is on some spinal and tap. There's, there's a whole other board that they, they only show for like a half second, so I kept trying to pause it, but it wouldn't pause to like capture it so I could write them down. But man, it's so metalepathy. Thank, thank you for capturing that. I feel like that's uh, oh going to be God. like a real seller to this podcast. It's yeah. like you paused it and now oh we, you have all those names. Dude, and what thank Saint you for Anger doing that. Could have been. And, and, then, and then the best thing. So you see, you see all that and then it shows them having a conversation with Q Prime management. And they're, they're coming up. James is like, I don't know. I feel like St. Anger. It's just like it makes most sense. But and then Lars says, well, I think frantic. And then Cliff Bernstein, it's unintentional comedy to his highest. It's like, well, frantic, you know, I don't know. Frantic has this meaning of like they're scared and they don't know what they're doing and they're just trying new things. And he like takes 30 seconds to basically describe what they were doing in these like terrible terms. Yeah. About like it just sounds like unfocused and unwilling to like do it. And yeah, unsure. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, maybe it's a perfect fucking album title. <laughs> but you hear, But you can hear that Q Prime. They're like. Yeah, you you know August whatever it's Saint yeah. Anger's Day and all that, and you're like you get you you know from a from a marketing, marketing point of view you're yeah. like yeah Saint Anger clearly like yeah. but you can see that that's another great instance where like Lars is clearly just def- like he's you know what I mean he's like yeah. he's like pushing his own thing not because yeah. I don't think that I don't I don't think that Lars genuinely thought that Frantic was the better album title no. I just thought he was saying Frantic was the better album title because. James Hetfield said St. Anger is <laughs> the, al- the better album title. You but know what I mean? And there's a lot of that yeah. between those two where it's like if, like there's so many moments where Lars has no footing and no foundation to back up an argument that he's arguing, but he's only arguing it on the basis that it's just in disagreement with James. So that's what he's trying to do. But I'm glad that the, the management says, well, Frantic has all these negative things. And then Lars is like, yeah, I never thought about it that way. Cause like yeah you fucking idiot you want you don't want to put out a, ba- a an album that's called frantic and then everybody goes yeah it fucking sounds pretty frantic it sounds fucking bullshit yeah oh yeah um, what about when they're doing the um the radio the radio promos no I'm gonna stick this is Lars from Metallica I'm gonna stick five thousand dollars up, up your, your ass, ass. Yeah. <laughs> So bad. Also, if you want an album title, why don't you finally call an album Metal Up Your Ass for fuck's sake? Like, just do it. I think they had an EP called Metal Up Your Ass in the very, very beginning. Ah, just do it, like, for real, though. Just really do it, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So dumb. So dumb. But they're, like, doing the radio promo, too, for the album, and they're like, I don't want to do this. And it's just like... I don't. Do you guys want to do? Do you guys want to be in a band? <laughs> like that was the biggest question do you I had. Be in the biggest band in the world for the whole time. I was like, the yeah. only one that wants to be in this band is Kurt and uh, mm-hmm. uh, your your new bass player. I can't. Is uh, Rob? Rob? Yeah, Rob Trujillo. Um, yeah, just also, so strange. How would you guys feel about? Yeah, let's talk about that real fast. About um, well, we'll talk about that. But um, the uh, when Lars just goes like, we're gonna offer you a million dollars to join our band as a sign of good faith. I would not have put that in the movie. Yeah, like, pay your dude because you have the money, but, like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I guess I respect yeah, but that when they, they put it in there, but at the, the same, same time, I'm like, I don't need to see how all the peanut butter's made. Well, and at the same time, too, like, it, 
it go like the, another part where I had that kind of cringe kind of response was when like he's auctioning off all of his artwork and it's mm. showing you how many millions of dollars he's making auctioning yeah. off all his artwork and like yeah I get it you know what I'm saying but at the same time it's like you want to know why people you want to know why they made that cartoon uh, yeah. about like Lars Ulrich being like I have all the money in the world Napster you're going down and it shows him like up, like in front of bags of cash also in you're not documentary. helping you're not helping your image man like you're just making yourself look like the fucking rich douchebag well, by like selling all the artwork and doing all yeah. that to what Jeff said too like I, I guess uh, now that I'm, I'm getting like a more uh, varied opinion about it from Jeff over here because he's like well they did show it and that, they knew what they put out. So whether they know it was that vibe or not, like it was their choice right. to be like, well, this is who I am. And Lars is like, that's who I am. So well, like, you got to kind of respect yeah. it a little. When yeah. you buy a Basquiat, you know eventually when you sell it, you're going to make millions of dollars because you bought it for millions of dollars. So yeah. for me, it's like I didn't see it as this guy's making money. He wasn't making money. He was just getting back money from what they invested. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah. One thing I do like about them showing how the sausage is made because the million-dollar thing – I think that they had that in there just to show the reaction of Rob, who's like, oh, man, I don't even know what to do. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, but I do like how, like, five minutes later, they're sitting with their management company, and they're talking in all the legalese terms about, like, for the first period, you will get one, you will get a certain number of votes, and the other three members will split the remainder up to 100 between them equally. And they're all, like, looking at each other, like, what the fuck does that mean? He's like... Well, for the first period, meaning I assume like for the first year, you get 5%. Yeah. And then the other band members split 95% amongst themselves. So <laughs> the, he gets 32 votes, he gets 32 votes, he gets 32 votes, you get five votes. And then Lars is like, well, or and, and they all kind of like jump over each other. They're like, well, that's not the spirit of what we're trying to do. We don't want that. We want 25, 25, 25. And, the, and their lawyer is just like, all right. Because yeah. he's like, well, I just set it up that way because like, I didn't want you guys to hire the, you know, it's set up so if you hired the wrong person, quote unquote, that you aren't like, yeah, wow, like now we have to sue yourselves. someone for the rights for our own name. Like, so I thought that was good that they showed that where they were like, no, we're, we had the option to like get this guy in here little by little. And we decided like, no, you're a full member as soon as you're in part of this band. No, I did. That was, yeah. I did like that. Like, Which I never caught that on previous viewings. I never like made sense of what that scene was. Yeah. But yeah. yeah like but I didn't, I guess I just didn't like, like the money thing. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I could I have mean, heard everything else except the, that, but um, I guess right. it was nice to see too. But um, like, I, I did like how they were like, no, you're either in the band or we're, we're going to keep searching. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they did pick the right dude. That dude's in the band. Yeah. Can we, yeah, let's talk right, about that. He's the su- he's such the right bass player for Metallica. And like, they, they show the auditions. They show the they they like A B, but like seven guys in a row. The opening bass thing for uh for whom the bell tolls, and they show like one dude doing do 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 do. Next guy do 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 do. They go 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 go. And then as soon two two notes into Rob playing, you're like, yeah. If they don't pick this guy, they're yeah. fucking idiots. He's yeah. clearly the best bass, like who fits the Cliff Burton aggressive like driving sound. Yeah. Um, Ozzy's bass player. So right? I was just happy, yeah, and, you, and you could you player. could see that fully just from that four seconds of each person. You're like. Yeah, that's the dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's crazy no to think too, that though, that Rob Trujillo was playing with Ozzy Osbourne, who is arguably one of the biggest acts, yeah. like when it comes to metal and stuff. And then it like flashes to Rob Trujillo in his apartment. And oh, it's and like this tiny bones. little like studio yeah. apartment kind of thing. Like you're like, man, 
Ozzy was fucking this dude. Like, you no, know what I'm trying to say? That's like, why that's Ozzy's the... band gets poached over and yeah. over and over yeah. and over. Look at all the band members Ozzy's had, and they've gone to almost, like, crazy different careers in great bands. But that's yeah. that's the life of a dude in a band like that, though, who's playing, who's, like, a professional sideman. You have an apartment in a, you have, that was probably one of two or three apartments he has in some major city in yeah. America. That's really just like a place to store a couple guitars and sleep if you happen to be in town. Yeah. Because that dude's probably on the road 300 nights a year. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, he has nothing on the wall because like you're never fucking there. You're there for one weekend every other month kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, it, so it is kind of crazy when you see that. But that, you know, he, he, I'm sure he was making lots of money, meaning, you know, maybe not millions, but a couple good, hundred good thousand money. dollars a year. And, yeah. but you know, you're, you're literally like just, buying shit on the road buying cars or whatever and you know yeah can we also talk about great crab stance probably one of the best crab stance <laughs> bass players ever. oh i love and i love when he like so gets strange. down and then he like starts like doing that crab walk he like, runs like a gorilla <laughs> it's like very weird i like him i think he fits yeah. with the band too and i think he's a great bass player with lars too because lars is kind of like that like fluidy thing like yeah yeah and uh, i think they just play well i i, I was he's know. he i think he's the most talented member of the band Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's one. I don't know if it's in that. I don't know if it's in that movie or I. Re, I think I remember just seeing like on YouTube, where it's Rob right. Trujillo playing like uh, like flamenco style guitar, and you're like, this guy is just a monster musician. Like he's just yeah. so good. Like it's very clear how good he is. Um, yeah, and the, and the right. It seems like the right personality type too, because he was. He's much. Kind of shifts the weight so it's even to the Kirk Hammett, tranquil and. Let's just do it, and you know, no attitude and no ego, and yeah, um, yeah. Because since then, you know, they made the records have been good. The live performances continue to be, uh, but in a way, I kind of don't mind it as much because they showed that they're now like they're fine with making mistakes and fine with being humans and yeah. like. So it's still you go on YouTube and you can watch like Metallica fail videos, and it's just like. <laughs> Uh, example after example of them like counting in wrong or like doing bad drum fills or like starting a riff in the wrong place and but I I kind of like bands that are a little more human rather than like untouchable like distant and you can't like penetrate them as actual like human beings yeah, yeah. I agree with you 100% because when I see live footage of Metallica now they look like they're having fun exactly they look like um like the fans are like they just look like they're all yeah. in it and together and really yeah. having fun. And they almost never looked like they were having fun before. And so, like, even if no. there is, like, a messy slop-up thing, it's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah like, we're Metallica. Off. And we're going to play right. it again. And you're going to enjoy it. And we're all going to sing along. And right. I, it's, I love that vibe so much more than, like, the – because, like, if you went to a Metallica show now, it's a great – it's going to be a good, good, good time. Yeah. You're going to have a great time. Yeah. Because the band is having fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's so important because as slop jalop as it can be, yeah, you can. But also, like, you're get, if you're playing technical metal music, you're gonna get sloppier when you're sixty years old. Yeah, it's just part of the game. Exactly. Yeah. So, I I do enjoy like, you know, if you watch old footage of Metallica, they aren't making eye they aren't even making eye contact with each other a lot of times. <laughs> They're just straight up playing and like zoning off and with their fucking angry face, like all like. Jason Newstead, 
looks like he's never smiled once in his life. <laughs> yeah. James Hetfield like constantly had that angry, like I'm gonna punch you in the face. Lars Ulrich had that like devil, like with his teeth out yeah. look and and now they like look like dudes who actually like enjoy what they do. So. They look they actually have like some smile lines. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um the a thing I wanted to talk about too was like <clears throat> You know, like, okay, uh, you know, like, when you watch, like, Walk Hard, there's, like, these moments where, like, he'll say a phrase and he'll come up with, like, oh, this is a song lyric now. This is an <laughs> yeah. album title now. My One of my favorite parts is when they when they they discover, the, like, some kind of monster. Yeah. Uh, and it's so funny because, like, Bob Rock is the one who's, like, suggesting, these are the eyes that, ba 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 like, to yeah. construct, like, this Frankenstein. And then there's a moment where James Hetfield's standing there and Bob Rock's like, what is this song about? And I want to be like, motherfucker... You're the one who told them what the song is about. <laughs> and then you're asking him what the song is about. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like some kind of monster. And he's like, some kind of monster. And they're all like, some kind of monster. And they're <laughs> yeah, all like, some it. kind of monster. You know? And it's it like, happens like 10 minutes into the movie. Yeah. It's not long. And it happens a couple times in <laughs> yeah. the movie, though. Yeah. Like, because then he, because then like, it goes into the chorus. He's like, some kind of monster. And then he's like, the monster lives. I'm like, oh, there's the follow-up episode to the film. Yeah. Like, there, yeah. you got your title right there. And then... And then the other one where, like, they're trying to, yeah, I wash your back so you won't stab mine yeah. is another one where, like, they're, like, they're doing that recording and they're on the phone with Cliff Bernstein. And James is like, wait, so, like, if we didn't record this, like, that means they're going to fuck us out of album sales? And Cliff Bernstein's like, yes, James, that is exactly what I'm saying. Then, then, like, he's like, people would do that? He's like, yes, people would do that, James. This is what I'm telling you. And he's like, God. so I'll, I'll wash your back so you won't stab mine? And they're like... I'll wash your back so you won't stop. <laughs> They're like, that's, write that down. Write that on the whiteboard. That's a great song there. Like, yeah, I know. They're just like writing down sentences that they're saying. Yeah, they're like, Wait, a, what? That was a great catch, man. That was yeah. a great catch. Also, we've been an hour in this podcast, and we have not once even talked about Dave Mustaine crying in the oh, documentary. Yeah. Oh, well, why don't we take a quick break, yeah, and then yeah. we'll come back, and we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about Dave, Dave Metallica. We'll be right back. Most of us, i.e. comedians, treat open mics as a necessary evil. But not Silas P. Every week, Silas talks to a veteran of the sights, sounds, and smells of the Philly open mic scene, sharing stories of momentary triumph and lingering failure with enough shit talk sprinkled in to make you listen to hear your name. I'm like 35% sure that I'm in there. So pay attention, hang out in the room, and maybe you'll learn why you got bumped on the lawn. Baby, don't say a word. I know all my life knows you heard. Welcome back. We are back. Today we were talking about Exit Light, Enter Night. <laughs> Welcome to Get in the Garage. Welcome to Get in the Garage. Today we were talking about the hit film documentary Some Kind, Some Kind of Monster. The monster lives. Um, so we're going to talk about my runner-up for cameo because Torben Ulrich is the clear champion. Torben, voice of reason and the voice insanity. of reason. So who's your? The runner-up is is the Dave Mustaine scene where he's in it for two minutes. And he's talking to Lars and Phil Toll, the therapist, and he's just talking about like what it was like being kicked out of the band, and um, it's just a really honest moment, and it's. I don't know. It's it's so much to unpack in even that like two minutes. Yeah, well, because I think because they did they did do him dirty. 
You know what I mean? Like they basically just like kicked him awake one day when they were in like Cleveland or something, and they're like they were in upstate New York, upstate yeah. New York, and recording they're recording like, their album. Yeah, and they're like, uh, "Here's your bus ticket back to yeah. San Francisco. You're kicked out of the band now." You know, and he, but he says it in the interview. He's like, "You know, would it have been nice for like my friends to wake me up and be like, Dave, you need to go to AA, man." Yeah, you know. But the problem was, was that at that point, Metallica was so three all- other party animals aren't going to tell you go to AA. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just like, like you can't. That doesn't make sense. Like it has to yeah. be solidarity. Like all of them have to go if one. You yeah. know, it could because they were all clearly having drinking issues. I just think that Dave Mustaine was the one who got like the nastiest and the meanest and the most. Well, he violent. was like kicking people's dogs and shit. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, huh? and like breaking people's windshields and shit. Also, yeah. a great Lars quote in this movie too is, "I'm gonna drink to forget this." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, that's the other thing too that I thought was really kind of crazy drinking when they're auctioning off the stuff because he's nervous about auctioning off yeah his and he was but he was draw by the end yeah. of it you see him his like eyes are like rolling around yeah. and he's like oh, yeah. i'm chewing on gum and shit licking his lips like a weirdo i thought they kind of i don't know if dave mustaine got a final pass or he just had to sign something to begin with to be whatever but like i think they did him dirty again because like you know what i mean yeah. they kind of made him be like i don't know but honestly though like again in retrospect he comes out as like Hey, like, did you ever like think about like what it was like to be me and you kicked me out and yeah. I had to be like in the lesser band and always be compared to you guys? Yeah. It was rough for me. And he's and they're uh, they're like, no. And Lars is like, well, we didn't do that to you. Like the choices that you made led to that. And Dave is like, I'm not saying like I was right and you were wrong. I'm just saying like, yo, man, as a human being, can you understand? Like I walk down the street and people were up in my face and give me a middle finger and scream Metallica in my face <laughs> yeah. as I'm like getting a coffee. Like it's not a great life to be dealing with that. Like I, I'm fine that I'm not in the band and I did my own band and like my lesser band is like some people's greatest, greatest aspirations. But like, it would just be nice to forget my mistake that I made 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, to be fair, I will say, though, at the very least, that, like, looking back, looking back, I think, like, the real metalheads, especially when Metallica did the Black Album shift, were like, no, I'm going over here. Like, I'm, I'm going to ride the, yeah, the, the Megadeth train. You know what I mean? Because Megadeth... They strayed a little bit, but for the most part, pretty much stuck to the thrash metal course. Like, they didn't really veer saw, all that much. I saw them, like, when I was in high school, probably, like, 15 years ago at this point, and they were they were really good. I yeah. liked them. And you could say, what would you rather... It's, you know, it's Wish You Were Here lyrics. Like, would you rather be the side man, the lead guitarist in a band that you have no cr- real creative control over, or do you want to, like, have it run your own ship and be your own dude? Yeah. You know, but Dave Mustaine is totally right where he's like, listen, man. I just like it would be nice if like publicly you could make a statement about like, hey, we wish Dave well and like bygones are bygones. It was twenty years yeah. ago, but instead it's like every interview we're compared against each other, and you guys like take this, you know, high and mighty role of like, well, he fucked up, man. Yeah, and then like I get screamed at every day I walk down the street. <laughs> They've since though uh, resolved They've, the yeah, issue anyway right. though because they do the big four tours now, yeah. and then they'll bring Dave Mustaine on and he'll play with Metallica when they do like the Kill 'Em All that's songs, like the so Four Horsemen. Rad. That's so rad. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that to me that's really really cool. Like I love the fact that they do that. And, and that's uh, why some kind of monsters like it's a particular time in in history because those dudes were all on top of being like at this fracture point in bands and stuff like that. They were all about to hit forty years old. 
Yeah. Which, you know, for a lot of people is kind of one of those like, oh my gosh, what's my life type of moments. And they they all were literally like 38, 39 years old and, the, and then turned 40 like during the three-year process of making the thing. So they were all wrestling with a lot and I just think like the Dave Mustaine thing, it, it, I think it's like one of the most honest parts. I, I wish that James Hetfield has been, had been part of the conversation. Me too. But he was in, you know, recovery program and outpatient and all that stuff. But um, I wonder, I'm sure that there's interviews online of James with Dave Mustaine. Yeah. I'm sure that has to exist in the last 15 years. I mean, years. they filmed literally yeah. everything, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he's saying, like, uh, how they got together, like, in the, right, in more yeah, just and just talking for, like, yeah. as people. Stuff. No, 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 that's what I'm saying, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, because they yeah. film everything, so maybe there is, there's footage of that. That, I didn't, uh, I didn't check to see. Because, yeah, but... it's, it's, it's interesting, because that's very early on. So that's when James had just gone to rehab. So this is before they all are actually, like, talking with elevated mindsets and, like, trying to be yeah. caring. And Dave is like, I don't need you to feel sorry for me, man. I'm just like do you understand how it's not fun to get like screamed at? You're a fucking loser. <laughs> like, oh, or like, you're a fucking wino. The, and it's like, yo man, I, that was 20 years ago. Like I'm, I've had a whole career since then. Like I love, I would love to like be able to move on from this, but, but, but the public won't let me move on from this. Part of me wonders if that interview was a bit more, uh, deceitful than it leads on. Cause In I, what way? I think that they went there to talk to him to see how he felt to see if he wanted to confront Metallica because it was falling apart so bad. Oh, plot when, twist. I when didn't I think was about looking that. back. Oh, I don't know about that. I think they were feeling it. I think they were uh, grasping at straws and I think they were just, well, we'll see. We'll see. If that yeah, cause, happens, cause to be it fair, might not be. It might. Because no. it's kind of interwoven so. around that time where even Lars is like, we don't. Even, I don't even. I'm expecting the worst. I don't even know if James will ever come back. So but I thought it was like only like a month into him being away because he was away for almost for eleven months. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't think it was at the end of that. I don't know though. I mean, it's it's very. It is perhaps possible. Yeah, the quote, uh, writing down one of the quotes, this isn't like, I wouldn't necessarily say a favorite quote, but one where I was like, good God, it was right as it was going into the segment, and it's Kirk, and it's, uh, sorry, Jesus, Dave Mustaine, and it it like goes to a black screen, and then it comes up at at the last line where he goes, I often hear what a great person Kirk is and what an absolute piece of shit I am. And then, yeah. and then you just see Dave Mustaine sitting there like looking at you, like in frame at camera, and you're like, good God, man, like. That's so rough. That's so crazy, you know. But there, there is those moments where, where uh, Lars is like, you know, yeah, I've thought about what you've put me through. And, and David saying is like, that's not what I said. What I said was, do you understand what I've gone through? Not yeah. like, in other words, being like, it's not what you put me through. It's what I've separate yourself like, away from it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like, don't make it about you, asshole. Right. <laughs> like it's what I've gone through. Like as a result of everything happening, you know. Can you um, imagine musically? Let's just stop and reflect. I love Kirk Hammett. He's an integral part to their sound. Can you imagine musically what that band would have been like with Dave Mustaine as oh. the fourth member? Because then you have two straight-up singers, yeah. and Dave Mustaine is the rhythm and the rhythm of James Hetfield and the lead of Kirk Hammett combined. Yeah, like that band would have been. If you watch, if, if you yeah, if you watch the early stuff when it was the original lineup with Cliff and Dave Mustaine, right? It's so good. Yeah. And Dave Mustaine is playing that uh, that BC Rich. What's that? The Mockingbird, yeah. like the old school Mockingbird. And it's just like, dude, he rips, man. Like he's so 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 good. And again, 
you know, credit to Kirk Hammett because he's, you know, part of the reason why Metallica is what they are. And, you know, maybe his his guitar solos are less creative now than they were on, say, like Master of Puppets or like And Justice for All. But uh, but yeah, man, if 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 Dave Mustaine never left, I think we would be it would be a much different Metallica. I definitely think that like it would have imploded after two albums. So. <laughs> yes. Two yeah. front men would be interesting, though. Yeah. Like two singers. Just musically. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know how Dave Mustaine was ego wise. Like pretty could, bad. Pretty. Yeah. <laughs> pretty bad. There's, well, I was saying well, in comparison at, at to like band. Lars, in comparison to Lars and uh, yeah, his band is shuffling people James. in and out. Yeah, he can't keep a band together either. No, the only person I think the only consistent band member of Megadeth was is the bass player. What's his name? Nope, not anymore. Well, he got kicked out last year after s- sexual misconduct allegations. Yep. Oh shit! I didn't know that. Ellison, Dave Ellison. Dave, yeah, yeah. He plays that Jackson, like the Silver Jackson bass. Yeah. Oh no he way! He plays I did the not fool know now, that. man. Shit. He plays alone. I know Chris Broderick was a lead guitar player who came in at one point. He was from the band Nevermore. And then the Marty Friedman was like the big, big guitar player that Gar was with Megadeth for a while. But they had, they had a lot of people with substance abuse stuff. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People come and go. Yeah. Some kind of monster. <laughs> the monster lives. Um, so. Well, there you have it. I mean, we could probably talk for like another hour about this documentary, but there's there's our sort of yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's 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 highly entertaining. It's uh, very uncomfortable and it's very uh, raw and unfiltered, and it's uh, pretty crazy that a band did this and a band like signed on to have it done, and it was a three year documentary period yeah. and um, warts and all and. It makes you uh, <laughs> it makes you look at things very differently. If you want a good like precursor to the Saint Anger document, or well, the some kind of monster documentary, uh, there's another like hour long documentary about the making of the Black Album as well mm. that they took some cutscenes from to put right. into some kind of monster to just see that it's like yeah, this is clearly a very unhealthy band. <laughs> like this is not you know, but I mean hats off to James though because I think that James of any if anybody was like the most willing to change and was actually trying you know um I believe he did relapse like five years ago yeah but he's but, been he's been you know on a whole different path since the making of this documentary yeah 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 and you can see it because I saw he did a guitar center thing where he's like talking about music and all that stuff like of, of like four years ago or something like that and it's uh yeah you can see he's just you, you know he prioritizes like healthy communication <laughs> like you know and like that's just really lame <laughs> uh also before we end uh isn't this going to be interesting like do you think they're going to do what they're doing with the beatles now and they're going to like redo the get back like the get back documentary is about to come out pretty soon the peter jackson version where it's going to like retell the story of like the beatles get back album and then um you know like do you think they're going to do that with some kind of monster one day like re-edit it and be like it was much worse than you even thought. Or oh, like, it was I mean, much I can't even imagine even the thought. amount of hours of footage that yeah, they have so where footage. things got nasty. Because I was, I was searching on YouTube, and the scene where Lars Ulrich is just screaming "fuck." Yeah, there's cut scenes. Yeah, uh, there's like an extended scene of that. Yeah, where you see it, and like you can see, man, like James Hetfield's just like sitting at the end of the table, just like. Well, he like screams just, it in James Hetfield's face. He's like "fuck," <laughs> and James just like he just sits there and takes it, you know. <laughs> So yeah, um, hashtag free Kirk Hammett and uh, rock and roll, <laughs> rock and roll, rock rock and and roll. roll. Um, yes, don't forget to like and subscribe on all social media platforms as well, and uh, give us a rating and a comment maybe. 
if you could. Uh, anyway, the monster lives. Long live Metallica. We'll see you next time. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.